Hi, I'm Dr. Emmanuel Aiko. The early signs of a heart attack can vary. The most common include squeezing across the chest, a feeling of unease, and a sense that something just isn't right. It can be easy to dismiss the early signs of a heart attack as the symptoms don't always feel severe. It's never too early to call 999 and describe your symptoms. Your NHS is here for you. Well, look at this! Here's the guy here just in the nick of time! What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir! Ain't we just! If I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. I just don't like you no more. Have you been rowing? Have you been rowing? Have I been rowing? Well, you are rowing. It does look like we're rowing. You can't just stop being friends with a fella. He's dull, Siobhan. But he's always been dull. Maybe this whole thing has just been about getting you to stand off for yourself. Oh, you fatty. Dancing with your dog, is it? What did you come here for? I just came to kick your door and give you a slagging. Why aren't you talking to Polly no more? That wouldn't be a sin now, would it, Anna? No, but it's not very nice either, is it? What I've decided to do is this. I have a set of shears at home, and each time you bother me, I'll take one of my fingers off with them. Starting from now. But shush like, Polly. You know, shush like. Yeah, I'd shush like. It's about one boring man leaving another man alone. One boring man. You're all feckin' boring. Let's just call it quits. We won't call it quits. We'll call it the start. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako and I am... Uh, I don't know. I, 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 I still, I'm looking at the Oscar list, Oscar nominations list, and I'm not surprised, if, if, which is which is weird. I, I always get surprised every now and again with some of the entries, but this year, no surprises whatsoever for me. I am producer Dave. Um, it's not really surprising considering most of them mirror the um, nominations to BAFTA. Uh, so, yeah. And uh, 
Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's, that's the expectation, right? It's the expectation is like the standard ones will go. Will, it's kind of like a like a rinse and repeat. You like do BAFTA, you do Golden Globes, and you do Oscars, and all pretty much roughly the same nominations. Um, and it's I guess the same the same winners as well, right? So that's what we'll be talking about that in more detail in the uh, film and TV news. But yeah, so producer Dave, was that the same kind of thing that you felt? Um, it points to a consistency, let's put it that way. Um, but to be quite honest, um, I think that um, there should be a little bit more di in the way of divergence because they, each culture, I mean, you've got the two from America and one from, from the UK. And, you know, things in the UK are slightly different. They should see things slightly different to the Americans. Not everything that is uh, nominated in the BAFTAs should really go to the Americas and vice versa, but yeah, you know, that's my that's my opinion. You know, um, like like I said, we'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit more detail when we jump into film and TV news, going through the nominations and whatnot. But uh, hey, hey, I guess it's back to normal. Even even with the hashtag Oscars so white trending, uh, it's already it's already started coming. Not because there there weren't any people of color nominated, but I think it was because of. Uh, and we'll, again, we'll talk about this in 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 the in in the film and TV news because I've I've I read an article on it and it was very interesting in this in the sense that I was thinking as ah, a bit of a stretch, but okay, we'll 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 come back to it. Uh, but before we jump into that, uh, producer Dave, you said that you watched something. You told me just before we started recording that you've watched something recently that um, yeah, something that you've been banging on about for a little while. I finally just sat down and watched. Ted Lasso. Um, oh, and tell me, te just uh, tell me how much of the fact that this is the greatest TV show of all time that you've watched. To give, go on, tell, tell, don't, don't I'm, put words in your mouth. Feel free. I'm to not going to say that. I'm most definitely not going to say that. It is quite funny, but there are graduations of funniness, and it. It hits at certain other aspects as well, you know, sort of mental health, um, long distance relationships and how they can be uh, relationships in general. And uh, there, there was a, a really, really funny, funny scene that um, had me in stitches right at the end, the very last episode where uh, one member of the cast who's there all the way through says to a visiting person that he won't be going to play for them and his reaction was was <laughs> i mean stitches yes uh, yeah i was saying i was trying i was trying to think i was trying to think um wh what are you talking about but as soon as you said as soon as you said that he was not going to play for them i immediately i was like <laughs> Yes, um, <laughs> I was crying. I, I watched that it. twice. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I I want to spoil it. I want to say. I'm not going to spoil it. That's that's the reason why I didn't say. You know, whatever. But um, I just love the the, oh, the reaction. I just love the reaction. <laughs> I really did. I mean, I was just about to spoil it by saying something national dish, but I won't. I won't go there. But it's hilarious. See, here's the thing. That that scene alone, the no, it's not. It's not just the scene. It's the character arc of that of, of that is the, of that character. That one particular character, right, coming in, doing the doing, and then the final bit, and then the them leaving, 
Um, that the actor, I've seen the actor in a number of things before. I'm not going to mention the actor's name because if I mention the actor's name, it's going to give away the plot point. Everyone, we are going to understand what we're talking about. So I'm not going to mention the actor's name. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but the, the reason why I'm saying that is because Evers, I liked his stuff in the past, but having watched him in Ted Lasso, that character arc, I love him. Anything he's in, even if it's stuff that's terrible and there's something that is terrible that I've I've caught him in, but uh, but I'm not even even as much as that is a toxic product that he's part of. I am excluded. He's shielded because that performance was so brilliant. It was so fast. The the turn was just <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> and you're going. That escalated so quickly. Oh dear, yeah. It was it it oh dear. It was just one of the funniest things I'd seen on TV for a long time. It was just so worth it just watching that. But yeah, wow. the, the 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 series itself. I mean, I must admit, after the second episode, I mean. We'd already saw, I'd already seen that clip on, and we've already heard the clip on the airplane where that young posh guy says, you're so mad for going, they're going to eat you alive. Yes. And, and, uh, and the, the term wanker was started off as a derogatory. Yeah. And turned into an affection, if you see what I mean, particularly yeah. by a one, one character you see every once in a while. It's, it's just, the, the old man, right? Yeah, yeah the old man. <laughs> but it's, it's just like, there were, there were so many nice little touches going all the way through that. Um, the one person who did surprise me was uh, the character who played the um, foul-mouthed footballer. Brett Goldstein. Uh, he plays Roy Kent. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, I, I quite liked his character, but I looked at him and I thought to myself, I know you from somewhere. I know you from somewhere. And he starred a Super Bob in a... Um, yeah. In a, yes. A, yes. Which you can see for free on Pluto TV, if you've got Pluto TV. But you yeah. You can also it on Amazon, Amazon Prime as well. Yeah, if, if it's on Amazon Prime, hopefully it's free. But if it's not free, you have to pay for it. Go to Pluto TV, it's free there. And it's just... Um, it, it was just... Wow. And then I started looking at some of the credits as they rolled by. He's written part of some of them, directed some he's, of them, and he's story the story editor. He's, he's went in there. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of the writers on, on the show. Um, mm. And yeah, he, he is. He, I mean, okay, Ted Lasso is the best character in the show, right? Oh, I say, okay, I say he's the best. He's not the best character, he's the protagonist, right? Um, and he's fantastic. I, I, it's just, he, he's, it's just, Jason Sudeikis, is he he brings so you hear about characters being three dimensional, right? And you see actors making a character three dimensional. And Ted Lasso is a fully rounded figure. You see his flaws. You see that that that's beam of optimism is just is high beams of optimism. He walks into the room and you 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 think he's the most idiotic person in the room and that's how that's how the pitch is right he's this american this loud optimistic yeah we can do whatever even though i don't know anything about it and obviously he's coming to a british audience right to to, to british audience where they're like uh, okay we're gonna we're gonna the whole british sensibility of you know they, they look for any reason to to sort of to to take you down right if you feel really confident in yourself we're gonna take you down a peg or two 
And you see how he slowly wins over every single person in the room. Every single person he comes in contact with. He, they start the episode off with, I hate you and your optimism. And at the very end of the episode, they were like, all right, okay, I, I can see it. Like, it's, it, it, yeah, that's great. But then talk about um, Roy Kent. He is my favorite character in the show. He is my favorite character, Roy Kent, because it, I I put him in the same category as uh, as Geralt from The Witcher with Henry Cavill, right? So as the best grunters in the business, <laughs> all he has to do is just growl and dash. Perfect. It's just that's it. That growl conveys any. It's a growl, but it conveys different emotions depending on when it's put. I, it's anyway. Brett Goldstein just fantastic. Takes the takes the cake. He's great. Jason Sudeikis fantastic as Ted Lasso. Um, every time I talk about this show, I've I've seen the season. I've seen both seasons three times already in, in a row. I will right now talking about it. I want to go back and watch it for a fourth time. It is so good. It and it's and. And there are these there are clips you can cast. There's one clip in particular that's doing the rounds on YouTube, and it is the darts scene. Oh, that's that's actually where I was going to go next with that because uh, you know I'll let you take it away. Because, because, I'm not even going to talk about that. But what you were saying about um, his character, his enthusiasm, and people thinking of him as a dumb, and he actually addresses that in that in that particular scene with um, oh gosh. Uh, Anthony Head, who is who, who plays who plays the protagonist in that well all the way through in some respects. And you have to watch the show to find out exactly how. But um, yeah, it's a uh, it's one of those things. He, he he delivers a lesson. You know, if you want to get to know me, talk to me. Find out who I am. Don't just assume. And it, it's a it's a valid lesson. It's it, it's a great show. It's a heart. It, it's it's a it's a heartwarming show with a lot of swearing that I would happily let my kids watch because it's just it, you can't. And football is life. When Danny Rojas comes in, it's it just you, they drop him halfway through the first season, and it's just, I mean, come on! It's just the way the characters are just built up. Every single character, even, and I, I think I mentioned this the last time that I ranted and raved about this show, where even the background characters are almost, they're fleshed out or they're given moments to shine, even though they're not, even though they don't have that much screen time. They have a couple of minutes, a couple of seconds sometimes, and you can get their entire character in that you know what and how they fit in with the rest of, with, with the rest of the cast i have to in, say there's one character that was um annoying me um, go on um and that was coach oh, come on. He, he, he was annoying me I, I just didn't see what he was bringing to to the show he he was another grunter and then coach, there was that episode <laughs> that focused on him yes Oh come on, that was a great episode. And with 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 those other three that you have you see in the pub all the time as well. Yes. yes. Um I have to say he, I I warmed to him more then because it so was, that was all about. Yeah. But up until then I was thinking, oh good gosh, what are you doing? 
you know. <laughs> okay, so so I, obviously you've now watched this the season and you've gone through it, so you know what the show's all about, right? Oh yeah. Um, and you talk about Coach Beard. Coach Beard is uh, he's basically the he's he's Ted Lasso's work wife or work yeah work wife. Or work he's his wife. anchor, basically. Yeah. That's exactly what it is, right? He is he he's the complete he's he is exactly the anchor because Ted Lasso will float into into the stratosphere, if you will, if you let him. But he he relies on Coach Beard to just keep him grounded just that little bit. And it's and even and even still, and even as an anchor, he understands what makes uh, Ted Lasso shine. So you can tell that these are people who have they've lived breathed and worked together for ages so when he sees a lot of the the mannerisms the, the gestures that he'll do to each other he like finishes off some of his sentences sometimes and he turn around as he's just saying to coach beer is like what is that thing and even before he finishes explaining it he's like he'll explain it's like that's it and he knows exactly what he's talking about it's because they are in, in so in such synchronized they're so compatible together I, and i understand what you mean where you you're saying how he got on your nerves because of how I guess cocksure, quiet, you know, you might say dull. I didn't think dull. I'm just like, all right, let's. I want to hear what coaches, what Coach Beard's reaction is to this. And it's like, mm-hmm. he's he sees through everything. He sees through everybody. It's like when um Nathan, when Nate, right. When you get into and Nate is the the one who rises through again another great character in the show another really rounded character that you oh and I'm not going to say much because obviously they've built up to what's going to happen in season three so I'm not going to say anything about Nate but fantastic character played by Nick Mohammed Fa- amazing where you start to from like the very first episode of the very first season where you start to see a seed of something in his character. And you think it's just a tiny little thing. And throughout the first season, it starts to build. And it seems nobody else sees it but Coach Beard. Coach Beard, right? You can see it because there are those, those tiny, if you go back and watch the show again, you'll see whenever that moment happens and, and Nate thinks that he's just the one in the room or nobody else has seen it, you'll see in the corner of the screen, Coach Beard is there in the office and he's watching and he knows and he sees and he can tell that this is where this guy is going to end up. But he doesn't say anything because he's like, no, I'm just going to let it play out. It's a such a fantastic show. Oh, okay. Um, I was I was ill this week. I was uh, I've been I've been massively, massively um, down with the dreaded, dreaded man flu. Uh, hence the reason why my voice is the way it is. But Priest Dave, you have cheered me up massively bringing the news that you have finally come on board to accept that Ted Lasso is one of the greatest TV shows. I never said that. I said it's it's great. I I think it's great. I never said it's one of the greatest. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You you said it's one of the greatest. No, I never said that. You you never said what, sorry? I said it's a great 
TV show. Oh, okay. Sorry, because uh, obviously because uh, my, I've flemmed up, right? Because of the uh, because of the man flu I've had all week, I couldn't hear, and it's kind of still sounding a little crackly um, from what I'm hearing. Yeah, but of I'm, course. I'm hearing, you, I'm hearing you say that Ted Lasso is one of the greatest shows. Yeah, I, you're, I agree, you're hearing I it, but no one else is. But carry on. Okay, I I <laughs> I, 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 I understand. It's okay. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Echo. I'm producer Dave. And we've just been talking nonstop about uh, what uh, producer Dave and I agree as being one of the greatest TV shows. Of all time. <laughs> so, um, we're we're going we're gonna to have a conversation with a filmmaker whose film is going to be in the uh, in, in the 2023 uh, uh, installment of Paris International Film Festival with our, you know, our friend Jenna uh, uh, Suru, her film festival is back in for this year. We're having our first guest who's going to be talking about their film, their short film, A Mind Cannot Touch. Jeffrey Prather is going to be coming on the show later on during the spotlight to talk about his, his film. Uh, but before we do that, let's jump into film and TV news. This year, 95th Academy Awards, the Oscars, is going to be shown on the 13th of March. And uh, the list of, of, of films this year, as we were talking about just before we jumped into this segment, pretty much matches up with the Golden Globes and the BAFTAs and everything else. Um, so, uh, producer Dave, you sent, me, you sent me the list and you asked me, did I notice anything about the nominations? What, what were you uh, pointing out? That they were basically the, almost the same, apart they from are. one that um, had come in for some um, scrutiny recently. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go on, go on. Uh, no, no, no. You carry on. Okay, so I, I think I we haven't had this conversation yet, so it might be what we're talking about. Uh, we, we might be talking about the same thing, but let's see. I often think that we are talking about the same thing and then we go off in completely different directions. Um, but yes, the same kind of uh, projects have been nominated uh, in Oscars. They, they've done the best picture where they always have like 10 or so pictures compared to all the others. So obviously they're going to be a lot more in this category for Oscars than in other um, uh, competitions. So in this case, they have All Quiet on the Western Front. They have Avatar going in there as best picture as well. Avatar, Way of the Water. The Banshees of Inishirin. Elvis, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun, Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. So those are the ones that are in the Best Picture category. The Best Director. So from this point onwards, it's pretty much uh, status quo. So uh, Best Director, Martin McDonough for Martin's uh, for The Banshees of Inishirin, Daniel Kwan for Everything, Everything, everywhere, all at once. So that's Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Scheinert? I mean, I, I definitely have pronounced his name incorrectly. Then Steven Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Ostlund for Triangle of Sadness. Those are best directors. Then uh, a lead actor, best lead actor, Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for Banshees of Inisherin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal. After Sun, Bill Nye for Living. That's pretty much the same as the BAFTAs. Maybe Paul Mescal might be uh, might have swapped out, but yeah, pretty much the same list. 
uh, Best Lead Actress, Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna Diarmas for Blonde, Angela Riseborough for To Leslie, Michelle Williams for Fableman, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Now, let me pause here for one second, because this is, I mentioned earlier, there was an article I read really quickly, um, and it was about the Oscars so, hashtag Oscars so white phenomenon. So uh, this, um, this kicked off a few years ago where in the in all of the major categories there wasn't a single personality of color or any other ethnicity other than white they were nominated in all of the major categories and so that hashtag came out and so on and so forth so that hashtag seems to have come back mainly because of that one um category is this what you were referring to pretty today for you said there was a little bit of a swap thing that you talked about uh no this what i was talking about was the andrea risborough to leslie no that's exactly what it was that's oh right article. okay yes because because the, the article was talking about how andrea risborough for for the film to leslie um her nomination is what kicked up the fuss because um uh, late, uh, Viola Davis wasn't recognized for Woman King, and I can't remember the actress in in um, Till, plays Emmett Till's mother. Um, the, the, neither of them were considered for best lead actress, and so the kick, the kicker, or the article was basically saying how this, you know, this is an outside type movie to Leslie, that is, and Andrea Riseborough. It, we, out of nowhere, just basically just jumps in and goes into, and I kind of, I saw this a little bit as a stretch, mainly because it's one of those things where, okay, again, it, I can tell you straight away, it's going to be Michelle Yeoh that wins that, wins that category. She's, she's taking that. Michelle Yeoh is taking that for everything, everywhere, all at once. She's already done a clean sweep. She, she takes all the boxes, right? It's, she's, she's Michelle Yeoh. The, the fact that she doesn't get a nomination every single year is beyond me. That's one. Two, she is blistering. She is fantastic. She's phenomenal in everything, everywhere, all at once. She's great in that. Two, three, the fact that she's never won. She's never even been nominated at all. This is like her first nomination, right, that she's in there. So she's going to take this award. If, if she doesn't take that category, I will stop doing the show. I will, I will say right now, if she doesn't take that, I will stop doing the show. Anyway, that to say that the whole, it, it, the, the kickoff in this point about Andrea Riseborough now being nominated in this role is causing a little bit of consternation because there are no, uh, there are no black actresses in that category when there were two performances that have been, that were listed in that article I'm just quoting the article here. I can't remember where, where I saw that article, but that, that was what the article was saying. Now, I'm split. Not even split. I'm not, you know, it's not even split. I am saying that that article was reaching a little bit too much because sure, you could have had someone like that in here, but then you, and Andrea Riseborough in To Leslie, was already nominated for a number of, in some other campaigns, some other competitions, not Golden Globes, 
not BAFTA, uh, but I think Screenwriters Guild or something, she was nominated. But the big argument that they have is the fact that this is an outside film. Now, for one, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you say that she shouldn't be nominated in here because it's an outside film, whereas Viola Davis in A Woman King, which is in the Hollywood machine, should have been nominated just because it's part of the Hollywood machine. You're shooting yourself in the foot there because you're now saying, okay, Oscars are not about how good the film is. It should be about the fact that you're within that circle, which is a problem. Second problem is, are you saying that you should be nominated in there because they're black women? That then shoots yourself in the foot because now you now any nomination then becomes a case of affirmative action. You, you start to make it that whole affirmative action conversation all over again. It's no longer about whether the performance was good or not. Now, say what you will about the nominations for Viola Davis and the, again, the actress, I, I can't remember her name. I will go back and I'll check for her name. For, she was from Till. Most likely gave phenomenal performances. I haven't seen those two films yet. So sure, that may be the argument you want to go with, but don't start doing the hashtag Oscar so white to use that as your argument. That's what put me off because you're now beginning to associate something with your argument that then people start to attack that thing in particular, and then you lose the whole argument to begin with. Oscars, it's not Oscars so white. Yeah, at the end of the day, okay, <laughs> yes. None of those other films, they had the argument, even looked at all the others like best picture, none of those best picture ones had any black people in there. I, I, everything, everywhere, all at once. Fair enough, that's, it, it's, not, it's not strictly a white uh, picture, but, the other ones aren't. Best uh, director, no uh, no black directors in there, and so on. Best lead actor, no, none of them. So this that should have been the argument that they made. They should have started pushing for that. The, where you start to see um, black actors pop up in there, best supporting actor, where you had Brian Terry Henry uh, being nominated in there. You had best supporting actress, you have um, Angela Bassett now in there. So. Okay, so now you're beginning to see that those are the only two places that they pop up. But then they just isolate just the best lead actress category and they point it out. Now that's that becomes the problem, right? So, uh, the, and let's play devil's advocate. The argument that a lot of people who counteract things like Oscars So White have is that, well, if you make those films, then they'll, if you make good films, if Black people made good films, then they'd be nominated. You then can, the problem with that argument is you then need to look at why those films don't get made, why they don't get pushed in, and so on. Because when eventually one of them happens to get to the, the point to get made and get that um, full-on um, push, like Moonlight, for example, it does go in and start to crush, right? But if you look at other films like The Woman King, which Viola Davis leads, the amount of issues that actually had, it sparked, you know, arguments about the fact that they were promoting a group of, you know, of actual slave traders. And that comes from, that immediately started to cripple the, the momentum of that film from the very beginning. Is that now a film that you want to go and put up there and say, 
go and nominate um, Viola Davis for an Oscar so she can possibly win or not win, lose to Michelle Yeoh, but at least she got nominated. I, that, that's the reason why I'm getting split about this. Producer Dave, what 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 are your opinions? Um, you know what? I have no opinion about it because all I heard about was the fact that uh, certain other A-listers had been championing this particular lady and she got in. I hadn't read anything into it. So when you were talking about that article, I hadn't read that article, so I didn't understand where you're going with that. So yeah, it's 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 all that. I mean, it's like another headline I've just I've just just come across just now. It's in the Oscars, but nothing on that particular issue. The headline from the Daily Mail says, "Why are the right on Oscars lauding a movie that depicts the Irish as drunks and imbeciles?" And they're talking about the banshees of Inner Sheeran. Um, I'm not going to say that the Irish are drunks and imbeciles. I would never get that from that film. I would get the fact that they like their drink in the afternoon. If they're on a small island and there's not very much else to do, of course. And they all enjoy getting together in a pub and shooting the breeze. But I would never have got that they were all drunks and imbeciles for that film. Good film, by the way. Exactly. No, I agree. It's, it, that That's kind of... That okay. I think what what's what irks me is the fact that it was the it, it was the Angela the the Andrea Riseborough. Oh, uh, by the way, it, um, the actress's name that I've been uh, mistaken is Danielle Deadweiler. She plays um, Mami Till Mobley, um, and the film is directed by Chinoye Chuku. So this now. If the argument had been, how, how why is it that Till isn't in the best picture category? That I understand. That I can that I can argue with, right? So it's a case of you got you got an entire film that is actually, you know, it 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 ticks all of the boxes for your Academy Award. It won, you know, it's it, it, it's picked up some festival uh, plaudits as it's going along. It's a historical piece. It's about it's a it's 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 got um it's 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 got all it checks all the Oscar bait you know qualifications. Why is it not included in the best picture category when something like Top Gun Maverick is in there? Or Avatar, Way of the Water. Avatar, Way of the Water, sure, best picture because of the technological aspect of it. But really, Top Gun, Maverick goes in there? No. If the argument had been, why isn't Till in that in, in the best picture category? That would have been fine. The problem for me now is the fact that that article, and I, okay, now I'm getting very angry about one particular article, but it's the fact that they referenced the Oscar so white hashtag that is, it, it got under my nerves. So, you know, I will take that step back. I will go and take my ranting someplace else. And I'll just say, you know, again, yes, Oscar's so white is becoming more of a thing. And you are right, Angela uh, Riseborough, uh, the reason why she got a lot of, the reason why she got that push into that is because there was a push from a lot of uh, actors. I think Brad Pitt, I think um, Kate Blanchett, 
uh, I, I think Leonardo DiCaprio as well, they all pushed for her to get that role, which is the reason why, not to get roles, sorry, get nominated. So they did the campaign for her to get in there. Fair enough. But essentially, they're just putting that asterisk. The, whoever's campaigning the also white, you know, Oscar so white thing, campaigning against and, and Andrea Riseborough, she's a great actress. She's a great actress. And I haven't seen Two Leslie, but I'm sure it's a good performance. My argument would be more to do with the best picture category. The argument that people say, oh, no, no, well, if, you know, black films need to be able to be in the Oscars, they need to make good black films. So what you're saying is something like, like Till is not a good black film. I haven't seen it. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll go and watch it. I'm like, yeah, it, it ticks the boxes, except the fact that it's terrible. But still, I don't think... It, I think it should have been there. I think it, it, it's a, I, I think it's more of a case of there should be more films made by more people of color mixed in with everything else. I think there should be more opportunities. But hey, I guess that's the argument everybody has. And I'm just beating the same old drum. Anyway, I've, I've ranted a little bit too much on this. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And this is Spotlight. listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Uh, we have with us uh, the first of our interviewees from the Paris International Film Festival. My name is Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have with us the writer and director of the short film, A Mind Cannot Touch. Please introduce yourself and tell us what this movie is about. Uh, yeah, my name is Jeffrey Prather. Um, I'm from Los Angeles, California, and this movie is about a mother who brings her deceased daughter back as a hologram. Okay, so uh, it, it's obviously very uh, immediately from from the synopsis. It's it's uh, I, see, I want to take I want to take I want to hazard a guess and go. It's not a comedy. It's not a laugh out loud comedy. But I don't I don't know. I don't want to take that guess and gamble because I've done that before and I was wrong. So um, what genre would you place uh, this film in? Absolutely, it's a sci-fi drama. Sci-fi drama. Not, not a laugh out loud comedy by any means. <laughs> hey, you never know. Um, there's, uh, there's, there's the Aubrey Plaza movie, which is, uh, it's Aubrey Plaza, and I can't remember the, the other guy that's in it. And she's his girlfriend, she dies and he's mourning her and she comes back to life as a zombie. And that's a comedy, so. Um, yeah, that's true, yeah. But but, th but this is not it. This is a sci-fi drama. Tell us what inspired this movie for you. Yeah, for sure. So it was two things. Um, one, there was a trend that started, I don't know, probably 10, 15 years ago now to have like deceased uh, musical acts come back as holograms. So like Michael Jackson, Tupac Shakur. And then there were rumors they were going to do a whole movie with James Dean as like a CGI character. Not quite the same as hologram, but kind of noticing that people have a really difficult time letting go of even people they don't know, just people they've seen from afar and liked their art. And then the other uh, was a more personal reason, which was uh, someone close to me lost their firstborn child. And I think it really affected them in a way in which they were never the same and informed the you know, rest of their life and how they treated people and how they treated themselves. So those were the two inspirations for it. 
Yeah, as, as, as soon as, to be honest, as soon as you mentioned the hologram aspect, Tupac popped into my head immediately because I remember the concert. And I think ABBA are currently doing uh, a, a tour or a show. I can't remember exactly which it is, where I, I don't know. I don't, I, I think because it's them performing, but they're performing in motion capture, which is then projected as the old version of themselves. Gotcha. So yeah. there is that element to it, but it's usually more in the performance aspect. But this is a case, your story is about the grieving mother who uses that as uh, and, and and sort of recreates their dead child. Um, now, obviously, if, if movie buffs out there will probably be referencing things like uh, Pet Cemetery and a whole bunch of other movies where a loved one dies and they do something, they make some deal with the devil to bring their, their, their loved one back. What films influenced you? Uh, in the creation of this movie? Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say like, uh, not a movie, but like Black Mirror as like a television show it was a huge I was gonna, I, I, mean, that's I, I like didn't want to say the, anything. Yeah, I no, for sure. That's like anything. the big one that uses technology as a way to explore some sort of element of the human condition and kind of see where we can take it in order to get something that we want and whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing. So that was probably uh, one of the biggest inspirations. And then, you know, I grew up liking, you know, a lot of sci-fi films that deal with similar themes about the ethics of technology. And that's something that I usually do with stuff that I make or write. So that's the other big influence is like sci-fi movies from my youth. Yeah. Cause uh, season one, episode two, if I'm not mistaken of uh, black mirror has the Dumble Gleason one. Where yeah. The one where he comes like back as a Twitter bot, basically like a, but an actual Twitter yes. bot. Yeah. Like as a, yeah, exactly. And, and she, cause the, the wife brings him back as the, the whole thing where he gets recreated sure. and so on. Um, so, but uh, so you, you have, you have, it's a, it's a three hander from what I've seen in the cost list on IMDb. You have David Stanborough, uh, Paget Keiji, uh, maybe. Uh, Keiji, yeah. Keiji. Uh, mm -hmm. And I Chan Korea. Uh, I Chan Love Carrier is her full name. She's so she's she's Japanese Mexican, and then um, uh, Paget is Korean, and then David is a Caucasian actor. So have you have you worked with these actors before? No, um, actually, like uh, you know, it's a short independent film, and so I just use breakdown services. It's an online thing that you can get you know your script pages out there and see what you get. And I had told the person, my partner, actually, both producing and in life, <laughs> she was helping me with the casting. That I was like, I bet we get a hundred submissions total, and then we ended up with a hundred for each role within an hour, and ended up with like twenty five hundred total submissions. So it was you, you, quite don't, a know, process. you don't know actors, do you? Don't, you don't know actors. You put it. I heavy, apparently heavy. did not know actors very well before this project. <laughs> Honestly, no, I, you're, you're lucky. I didn't get to see it. I would have been auditioning for it so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was, and then we just went through every single submission and did uh, self tape requests. And then callbacks, watched everyone, and, you know, yeah, I didn't know them. I'd never worked with them before, but they were all great, super professional, showed up, totally prepared, made my job easy. And Padgett plays the the mother, uh, the grieving mother. What did you what did you do as a director to inspire her uh, to get the right performance for your film? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think Padgett had done a lot of the work beforehand, and you know, to be honest, the shoot was pretty quick. We only did it over a course of three days. And part of the reason was dealing with a child actor, you're kind of limited in the amount of time that you have to work with them. 
Um, but I tried to like get her to connect to like anything in her personal life, you know, that where she'd experienced loss, but like, honestly, she just came and knocked it out of the park. I mean, sometimes I told her to slow down or if I thought like, you know, a certain line was delivered with too much animosity, especially in the original cut, there was another scene between her and David who played Gabe. Um, but she was fantastic. I didn't really have to do much, to be honest. All of them came super prepared. That's always, that's, that's always fantastic when you're ready to do a project and you have your actors who are ready to do, who are ready to carry the weight as opposed to essentially sitting there and saying, tell me what's my motivation is like, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud to say I've never said, uttered those words at all to any director. <laughs> Good for um, you. Yeah, yeah. That's a tough spot to be in. <laughs> I've I've been on the flip side as well. I've directed shorts and I've had situations where actors have come up to me. It's like, so this scene, what, 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 how am I supposed to be feeling? I'm like, you don't talk in the scene. You're just there. You open nice. What are you doing? doing?" (laughs) Like, like, no, but seriously, I want to know what my motivation is. And it's like, ah, that did not end well. So it was uh, (laughs) You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm producer Dave. And we are here with the writer and uh, director of the short film, a uh, a mind. I always I always butcher titles. Uh, a mind cannot touch. Jeffrey Prather. Did I get the name correct? Jeffrey yeah. Prather. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you ever listen to the show, I, I honestly I get producer Dave to say the person's name because then if he gets it wrong, I can laugh at him. But uh, <laughs> I'm the I'm the idiot that just says it, and it's like okay, it's fair enough. It's good. Also, you you've you've written this short. It's now in the Paris International Film Festival. First of all, let's let's ask, uh, how did you find out about Paris International Film Festival, and what is it? How do you feel having your short now in in contention? Yeah, I actually found out about it. Um, I had an investor come on board after principal photography, and we were kind of looking at what festivals we wanted to submit to and what we thought would be a good fit. And he actually hired um, Festival Formula, um, which I don't know if you've ever heard of them, but they're fantastic. Um, We primarily dealt with Katie over there, and they created this list for us, and Paris International Film Festival, along with a bunch of others, were on there. So that's how we, we found out about it. And, you know, yeah, since getting in, like Jenna with Paris International Film Festival has been fantastic, great communication. She just posts constantly about it, makes you feel like she really is invested in the success, not only of like her festival, but the success of the filmmakers. And yeah, it's been awesome. Absolutely. Jenna's a, Jenna, she's a wonder. I mean, she's, she's been running Paris International Film Festival for about three or four years now. And we've, we've been lucky to, uh, to be part of the project as, you know, partners, mainly just interviewing uh, great filmmakers, ambitious filmmakers who bring their project and, uh, and get them shown at the festival. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, uh, this is going to be the first uh, the first real uh, as in like live um, in-person festival because she did, she started it during COVID and it's always it's been virtual mm-hmm. uh, but now this is live are you going to be going to Paris to yeah to I'm, uh, I'm leaving actually with um, my producing partner and my partner Claire O'Connor we leave this Saturday we get in Sunday and then we're going to be there for the most of the festival um, that runs I think February 8th through the 15th and we screen on the 10th Oh, that's good. So just before, so you can screen, you can get all the publicity, all that networking stuff out of the way, and then you can go and enjoy Valentine's Day with your partner. 
<laughs> that's right. Yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, now, Jeffrey, I just want to talk about your own backstory, some of the films that you've made, some of the work that you've done, both yourself and your partner. Tell us uh, some of the projects that you've worked on before this, and maybe we can talk a little bit about anything that you're working on afterwards, just in case you have something, or if you feel this is something you're going to focus on, because obviously some people, some filmmakers who make shorts may plan to expand it into a feature. We can cover that in a second. But let's talk about some of the projects that you've worked on uh, before. You've done a couple of other shorts like Coco and Colby. This one, I saw it and it got, I was slightly interested. Uh, it, it, it sort of, it piqued my interest. Tell me about your, about Coco and Colby. Yeah, for sure. Like I didn't direct that one. That was actually my partner, Claire, who was one of the directors on it. But um, it was actually for a 48 hour film festival. We did it during COVID. And just, you know, uh, me and her and then our friends, Adam uh, Hutzel, who was actually the DP on A Mind Cannot Touch, and Emma Fazuli, like, we were like, let's just do this because we want to create something during this time when not a lot is happening. And yeah, it's basically these uh, two sisters who were uh, both ballet dancers because both Claire and Emma were in real life. And so they wanted to kind of lampoon that world a little bit while still paying, you know, you know, having reverence for it. Um, and they get into like a pissing contest I guess you could say about a mug and it's like really slapstick comedy it's totally different than my film but it was a lot of fun to make and it's what drew me in uh, you just you mentioned it part of a 48 uh, hour filmmaking yeah. uh, contest which for those people who don't know about them it's where you uh, it's 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 done across the world you group up usually on a Friday evening and you get set certain <laughs> tasks. You get given keywords that you need to include in a, in a script, uh, props that need to be included in a script. And you and your team then go in and you have from that point to write a script, take get all your actors together, rehearse, shoot, edit, and get it screened on the Sunday evening, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. and we get to award. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I participated in one uh, quite a while ago, um, and it, it, we safe to say we didn't get any nominations whatsoever. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of people, it's it, it, I mean, you get a lot of teams who come; they come prepared um, yes. for, for the project. So you were part of this. Tell us what was your experience. This was during COVID as well. Tell us what was your experience like actually doing that uh, project at a time of COVID, knowing that you had a forty-eight hour time crunch <laughs> to get it done. Tell us, tell us what it felt like. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely that 48 hours is looming over you, I'd say, the entire time. Um, but thankfully, like, who we chose to work with, he's a professional, you know, DP. And so he has a ton of equipment. And since it was sort of a mockumentary style, I could film everything with Claire and he could film everything with Emma. And we were kind of characters in it, too, but mostly just behind the camera. Um, and so it actually went off really smoothly. And then uh, Emma handled all the editing and I did sort of the sound mixing because that's, you know, something I do on the side. But like overall, like it was the first time I'd ever did anything like that. And it was really fun. And we managed to get it done a little bit early. And yeah, it went great. Did you win? No, we got nominated. We did not win. No, oh, we did not win. Okay. Well, Somebody hey, else won that, that it somehow like I, they had really planned it, I guess, because they had like a scene where they jump out of a plane and it was like, it was like aerial photography. I was like, wow. I was like, these, <laughs> this, is, this was like a whole production here. We didn't have anything like that. So I understand why they won. It was very impressive technically. Yes, see, see, that's what I mean. It's like some teams just, they plan, I'm sure they do that. For, they plan for months before yeah. it comes up to that. It's like, right, whatever it is, this is exactly <laughs> how we're going to go into it. I didn't expect that to be the case. 
I went into it just in my own eyes. I was like, you know what? I'm going to freestyle. I'm going to do whatever is there. <laughs> and they gave me the things. And I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to. And I was so proud. And I did it. And when we were watching the uh, other f- um, finalists, I saw someone use a crane for their, their, their final shot. And I was like, whoa. It's <laughs> a go. That's what I'm going up against. Yeah, it was the uh, same situation for me. Like three of them had like massive set design and production yeah. values and like ours was good, but like certainly not at, at that level. But yeah, we still had a blast with it. Excellent. And okay, so now let's talk about the future. So uh, get, I don't know, I, would, I don't want to presume that you're going to be turning your short into a feature. Is that something that you're looking to do in the future? Or do you have plans for something else? Um, yeah, so like when I originally wrote it, I didn't anticipate it would become anything else. But since I filmed it and I've gotten feedback and then um, with the investor um, and he has a company, I should mention, uh, Studio Celestia, um, he was really pushing and he said, I think this could be a great you know, feature script. And so I have outlined it and I probably will try to write it this year and then see where it goes. But um, predominantly before this film, I've just been a screenwriter. So like I've written a lot of television stuff that I had an opportunity to pitch something I wrote to Netflix. And I have another project now that I'm hoping to, that's kind of what I'm focusing on is like taking out as a TV pilot and a show Bible to try to get that off the ground. And then helping my uh, producing partner, Claire, make her film this year, her short. That is fantastic. When you get any of those projects off the ground, please let us know. Yeah. We'd be happy to have you back on. We'll talk all about it and uh, and see where we go. Even if it's, especially if it's a Netflix one, it's like, yay, let's celebrate a Netflix show that we know <laughs> the person who created. Yeah, so, thanks. Great. I'd definitely love to come back on. Just as a quick recap, so you are the writer-director of A Mind Cannot Touch, which you said was screening on the 10th of February at the Paris International Film Festival. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, February 10th at 11.30 a.m. It's part of a shorts block that's two hours at, um, might not say this right, but La Champo uh, Theater, I think in the Latin Quarter uh, in Paris. It's okay. Uh, Jen is not on, is not on here, so... <laughs> Great. <laughs> and neither, yeah. none of us are French, so it's okay. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right on. <laughs> Jeffrey, thank you very much for joining us, and we wish you all the best with A Mind Cannot Touch at the Paris International Film Festival. Thanks so much. And that was our conversation with Jeffrey Prather uh, about a mind cannot touch. Uh, you know, I hope it does very well at the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the 8th to the 15th of February. If you're in Paris, go check it out. Go check out the festival. Check out all the films. Give our love to all the people who are there, especially to the excellent, wonderful Jenna Suru. I'm sure next year, producer Dave, next year we're going to go to the festival um, and 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 we'll attend it in person. 2024, here we come. 2024, here we come, indeed. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We want to thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us, listen to us, uh, especially me ranting uh, in- incoherently and uh, and idiotically, and uh, uh, what were all all the all the stupidness that you hear me an idiot ramble uh, about different things that I know not about so thank you very much for sitting in and listening to us uh Resonance FM thank you very much for not listening to us because had you heard my rant about the Oscars you would have yanked us off the air and thank you for not having listened so you won't do that um but yeah carry on not listening the rest of you who are listening carry on listening carry on downloading the podcast carry on listening to Resonance 104.4 FM I have been Marcus E. Acko. 
I'm still producer Dave. Dave, thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye. Hashtag Oscar Soy. <laughs> <laughs>